Hello, everybody, and welcome to our October episode of Rediscover the Winds. We're going to be talking about some ghost stories and general macabre, spooky things for October to celebrate Halloween. I'm Stevie from over in the Dubois Museum, and we have with us today... Hi, I'm Randy from the Lander Museum. And I'm Amy from the Riverton Museum. Great. So which one of you guys wants to kick off our spooky <laughs> podcast? Well, I guess I'll start. We've got a couple of different stories uh, we can talk about. Um, uh, ghost stories are pretty cool. Uh, we uh, all have some to share from different parts of the county, and there probably are many more out there that we aren't even aware of. So if you have one and uh, want to share it with us down the road, we'd sure appreciate it, because at the Lander Museum, we do a big Halloween event every year, and we tell ghost stories as part of that, and I really like to try and keep them uh, focused on Wyoming and the Wind River area. Um this year, unfortunately, we are not doing Halloween. I just want to say that real fast because of the COVID crisis, but uh, we'll, we'll continue our big Halloween event in the future. So I'm going to start with the, uh, uh, it's both a macabre story and a ghost story kind of combined, and it has to do with an artifact at the Lander Museum. So Ooh. if you've been there, you'll first, when you go in the main doors, the first thing you see is a skull of a man uh, in a case, and he's got a wagon hammer driven through his skull, and he is Harvey Morgan, the unfortunate Harvey Morgan, uh, who was killed by Native Americans in uh, 1869, coming down from South Pass to the Lander Valley. Uh, badly, he and two other men were killed, and they were badly mutilated, and uh, hastily buried uh, at Fort uh, Brown at that time, which was in the Lander Valley. Later, they were exhumed and moved to a different cemetery, uh, but Harvey's skull was kept uh, by uh, a man named Captain Nickerson, who was uh, also the man who found him being having you know, been killed, and uh, he thought, you know, this is a really cool thing. We should start a museum. And that's actually the beginning of the Lander Museum. Uh, in, uh, <laughs> they found this skull and thought, we should talk about how rough life was in this area uh, for the pioneers, so hence the birth of the Lander Pioneer Museum. So Harvey's skull has been on display at the museum ever since and is still on display, uh, quite an attraction for uh, a lot of people. Um, and I have personally never experienced anything. I've got to say that right up front. I've never had a ghost experience at the Lander Museum, but other people claim that they have. And the belief is that it's the spirit of Harvey who is lingering uh, in the museum. Uh, and, of course, his skull is there, I so maybe, say, it's, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a good reason for him to be around. Uh, we've had uh, previous directors and previous employees who've felt things and sort of experienced things and uh they can't say definitively as harvey but it kind of makes sense maybe we have other ghosts haunting us as well the only thing i have experienced and it is a mystery and i will admit that is there's a corner of our bookstore where books just randomly fall off uh <laughs> doesn't seem to happen on any of our other shelves uh and it doesn't happen all the time but periodically you'll hear this thunk and You'll walk over and there'll be a book on the floor. And it's always in the same corner. It's always the hmm. same place. It's very strange. And, and that has happened to me. So I don't know. I've always attributed it to maybe the building settling or something. But <laughs> other people think it's Harvey trying to get some attention. So that's my ghost story about 
and macabre murder story uh, about the Lander Pioneer Museum. We've got other ones to share too, but we'll let some other, let Amy and Stevie jump in here too. But uh, museums are kind of notorious for being haunted uh, around the world because they have a lot of stuff in them and a lot of stuff from the old days and uh, often mysterious origins. So it wouldn't surprise me a huge amount to know that we have a ghost. But again, I've never personally experienced that except for the books randomly falling. And maybe I'm just not tuned in enough to the spirit world (laughs) to to realize Harvey's in there with me. But other people have said that they they think something's uh, otherworldly is is living at the Lander Museum. So... Hmm. Well, it sounds like Lander likes to collect heads uh, because I have a story that uh, involves a murder that took place in 1911 in Dubois. And for a strange twist of events that we really don't know exactly what happened, the head of this murdered gentleman may or may not still be in Lander while the rest of his body is in Dubois. So what happened in 1911, there was this gentleman named Matt Barber who was working as a ranch hand first for Frank A. Welty and afterward on the EA ranch. And in the meantime, he was pasturing his horse over at this guy's um, ranch. His name was C.F. Grant. And uh, he, he, Barber, did not want to pay the fee that Grant was charging him to pasture his horse. It was $6, and he thought this was absolutely outrageous. People got some word that... Barber was trying to skip town without paying his bill. So uh, Dean Stalnicker, C.F. Grant, F.A. Welty, and Carl Welty, his son, piled into a car, and they wanted to try to go over, overtake him. Um, he was leaving town on a horse and buggy, and they figured they could probably catch him, convince him to pay what he rightfully owed, and if not, they were going to call the sheriff and have him arrested. But what happened, supposedly, when they overtook Barber in his wagon, he pulled a gun on the men in the car. And when he was told to drop his gun, he refused. And he was shot in the head um, by Carl Welty. His body was brought back to Dubois. And he it was examined. There had been some rumors swirling around town that this was not how the store, how the situation went down, that the guy was fleeing and he was shot in the back. But the autopsy report said that, no, he was shot uh, in the side of the head and not when he was fleeing. So squash those rumors right away. Um, and the story ends there with the Welties paying for the casket and having um, Barber buried at the Dubois Museum. But shortly at thereafter, the I mean, at the Dubois Cemetery, okay, oh my okay. word, That's at the right. Dubois Cemetery. Um, so shortly thereafter, the, the murder trial started down in Lander for, for um, Carl Welty. And his body was exhumed and they took his head because that's all that they needed. They just needed to show where the gunshot wound was. Um, and no one kind of knew what happened after that. But if you comb through the newspapers, quite a few years later, in November 12th of 1927, the Courier Dubois newspaper has an, uh, an article titled, Headless Corpse at Horse Creek Will Be Moved to Dubois Cemetery. And supposedly... In the bank of Horse Creek, um, the Fremont County Legionnaires group had discovered the headless body of Matt Barber, head never having been returned. Supposedly, he was not interred at the cemetery, which is where he was supposed to be. The Legionnaires had gotten involved because they discovered that Barber was a vet of the Spanish-American War, and they thought it was an absolute disgrace that this body was not in the cemetery. 
he did not have his head and that he had not been buried with a full <laughs> military um, gala that, you know, behooved a veteran of the Spanish-American War. So they actually started collecting uh, money from a lot of veterans and ladies auxiliary groups to try to reunite body and head. And as far as we know, we're not really sure (laughs) if this ever happened. So the way the article in 1927 is written, they're still waiting for, um, they're collecting money. They're going to get a casket. When this body and head reunification happens, they're going to have a full military parade, um, as the author says, lest we forget. So they really want to have all the veterans there. They want gunshots fired. They want a bugler. It's going to be a thing. But they can't do that until they get the county health commissioner or what would become the county health commissioner to sign off on unburying the body at Horse Creek, burying him in the cemetery. But we're not really sure who this body in Horse Creek is because the Welties had paid for Barbara to be interred in the Dubois Cemetery, you know, 15 years prior when he was shot. So who knows? There may or may not be one or more headless bodies floating around Dubois, and there may or may not still be a head buried (laughs) in Lander. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yet to be reunited with its body. So a little bit of a spooky story there, a little bit of a spooky ghost haunting (laughs) potentially for Horse Creek. For the Riverton Museum, um, I'm going to be taking some of our spooky stories from the Fremont Haunts book written by Mr. Alma Law and his Honors English students in 2017. Um, And this first story that I have is about an object that is currently on display in the Riverton Museum. And that object is called Amelia the Doll. Um, So (laughs) it was July 21st, 1970, Lisa's 16th birthday. Her parents had given her an orange tabby cat and she was now walking across town out into the country to visit her grandmother. She She could not wait to show off her new kitten who was currently snuggled up in a large bag she carried. It was hot out, and Lisa could feel the sweat running down the side of her face. The sun was beating down upon her, and she could not wait to get to Grandma's house. She knew that when she got to Grandma's house, there would be freshly squeezed lemonade waiting for her on the antique mahogany table in Grandma's kitchen. However, what happened was not what Lisa had been expecting at all. She walked into Grandma's house, but the moment when Grandma peeked her head around the corner and saw the cat, she immediately seemed disconcerted maybe even a bit fearful. Lisa wondered why, but couldn't with the normal pleasantries that typically took place when she went to see her grandma. Um, They talked for a while about the weather and the local news while drinking grandma's famous lemonade. It was was a beautiful day that Lisa would would typically have enjoyed, but she was deeply bothered by her grandma's reaction at seeing the cat. After talking for a while, Lisa finally found the nerve to ask why Grandma had seemed so nervous about the cat. It made her sad that she came to show off her kitty, and her grandma wanted nothing to do with it. She was expecting to hear a terrible story about how Grandma was attacked by some vicious neighborhood stray at a young age that left her paranoid about felines. Lisa sat there anxiously petting her cat, and she looked at something er, who was sitting on her lap while Grandma looked at her in a way that seemed so distant that it was like she was looking at something or someone beyond her. Lisa could tell her grandma was deep in thought. She was carefully pondering whether she was finally prepared to share her secret with someone. 
After a few moments, Grandma concluded she could tell Lisa the truth. However, Grandma's initial response took Lisa by surprise because it did not have any relevance to the question. She said, When I was about eight years old, I had a really good friend named Sarah. We played together all the time. Lisa was so confused at her grandma's answer, she replied, why would that make you nervous every time you see a cat? Grandma then proceeded with caution, but told her the story anyway. Grandma said, I have never told anyone this story. Sarah and I were best friends. We spent every day together until the incident. For Christmas, when she was seven, Sarah got a beautiful doll. She named her Amelia. She wore a light pink dress with many colorful flowers embroidered around the neckline, and cuffs. Amelia was made of oilcloth and her face was painted on, but the most fascinating thing about her was that she had real human hair and that was vibrant red. She was a family heirloom that Sarah had been asking for for years. One day, it was about September, we were outside playing in the yard with Amelia and Sarah's cat, a tabby cat just like yours. It was getting dark outside. Sarah's mother called for us to come inside, but we did not go right away. We sat there for a few minutes. Then the dark, towering figure appeared from behind the bushes. Grandma paused as she relived the painful memory. The person snatched Sarah and drug her out of the yard and behind the bushes. I just sat there, not even sure what to do. I could not even make my voice work well enough to call for help. I could hear Sarah pleading for her life, but the figure just killed her and fled. Lisa sat there in a complete shock as Grandma continued to describe the horrific event in vivid detail. She could not even begin to fathom what her grandmother had seen in her childhood. Lisa could imagine her grandma had peering around the bushes and seeing her best friend's body lying there completely lifeless on the opposite side of the shrubbery. Lisa realized that her grandma had still not forgiven herself for letting Sarah die, or at least not screaming for help. She looked deep into her grandmother's eyes and saw the pain that had been buried there all those years ago by the horrific crime that had been committed. Grandma continued, Years had come and gone since Sarah's death, and I had not heard from her family. One day, when I was about 19 years old, there was a knock at the door. I opened it and realized it was Sarah's little brother, James. He told me that he wanted to give Amelia to me as a memento. He figured that if anyone would want her, it would be me. I took the doll without hesitation, but soon learned the fault of that decision. Why? Lisa interrupted with extreme curiosity. Why would you have any reason to regret taking taking a doll from an old friend? I'm not done, Grandma said with slight edginess, making it clear that she was uncomfortable with reliving the story. I put the doll in a chair and left her there, she continued. Things started out completely normal. It seemed like just a doll, nothing strange about it. The slowly ch- that slowly changed, though. I could not place the feeling at first, but something just didn't feel right. Then one day, I came home from a special social gathering about a month after receiving Amelia, and I noticed she was not lying on her side like she was when I had left. Rather, she looked like she had been placed very precisely as if to look more alive. Lisa asked, well, isn't it possible that something, somebody moved her to that position while you were gone? Maybe they thought the doll should be treated better out of respect for Sarah's memory. No, Grandma replied. I don't believe that was the situation. I was living alone and the only one with a way into my house. Nobody else could have gone in there, and if they had, 
Why would they move a doll and leave? Why not take something? I did not think much of it, just assumed that I had moved here and I was getting forgetful. That all changed when I arrived home one day and saw that the doll had not only changed position, but was now across the room entirely. Amelia moved from the chair to the bed and was sitting at the door as I walked in that evening. I moved her to the chair again, choosing to ignore the memories of Sarah's death that rose every time I saw Amelia. Those feelings just grew more intense as I started finding scraps of paper with the words help me scribbled in child's handwriting. Oh my god. Those were the same words Sarah had so pointlessly cried to me the night she was murdered. Finally fed up with the terror and the guilt that this was all causing, I took the doll back to James and told him I wanted nothing to do with it. So that's the story of Amelia. (laughs) And Amelia is now on display at the Riverton Museum. And we even have a story from a former curator um, about hearing the doll screaming um, while she had been in the basement. um, And nobody. The doll or the curator? The doll. (laughs) She had been in the basement and she had heard a child screaming. She had assumed it was just a visitor's child who was being unruly. But the later the lady at the desk had told her that nobody had been in the museum for over an hour at that point. Oh. Yeah. Wait, so, okay, so describe this doll. Isn't it like a particularly creepy porcelain doll? No, right it's now? just a cloth doll, but it is missing a significant chunk of its hair, and it's rather dirty. So <sighs> it doesn't look pristine and nice. But so, do yeah. you keep it on display, or do you keep it in a box? It's on display currently, yes. <laughs> wow, that's pretty, pretty creepy. I wish Dubois had a creepy haunted <laughs> artifact. If anybody out there listening knows of a ghost story, an actual place or thing that is haunted in Dubois in or outside of the museum, let me know because I couldn't find anything about <laughs> ghosties or haunted dolls or anything. You would think with all the ne'er-do-wells running around Dubois, you know, <laughs> Butch Cassidy was there with all his yep. gang. Somebody would have done something, haunted something, but no. (laughs) Well, speaking, since we're on this theme of haunted artifacts or creepy artifacts, maybe is a better way to put it, I I, I should also mention the noose that's on display at the Lander Museum. (laughs) Again, a macabre story. I don't know of any ghosts uh, or spooky uh, things happening with the noose, but uh, we do have a noose that was used to hang a man. Uh, The only legal hanging in Fremont County actually took place in uh, Lander. Uh, a sheep herder had killed uh, his employer uh, by shotgunning him to death uh, and wow. was condemned to hang. I believe this was 1912, right around there. And uh, he was hung, and uh, one of the deputy sheriffs cut the noose from his uh, body. And uh, at the time, that particular deputy sheriff owned a saloon in Lander. So he displayed it at his saloon for many, many years. Uh, eventually donated it to the museum uh, where when I started it was uh, put away in a box and I thought I had actually got it out for Halloween thinking this would be an interesting Halloween exhibit and then it developed into just a full-time exhibit <laughs> about you know law and order and the sheriffs and things like that so the the noose that uh, the noose that was used is on display like I said, I've never seen or heard anything associated with the noose but it is a macabre artifact huh. <laughs> on display. Huh. Uh, and we've got a couple other ones, but those are the, the, the nooses and the skull are probably the creepiest ones in, in Lander. So 
I don't know. Jew boys, we just have a history, apparently, of bodies washing up missing parts because we had a murder, another murder in town that happened um, relatively recently, you know, take it with a grain of salt, in 1966. So there's a lot of folks in town who remember this. Um, but there's a property four miles south of Jew boys that was originally owned by the Jew boys Grazing Association. So there was a house on the property and the folks who worked the ranch there would usually stay there. So in 66, this young couple, um, Jim, uh, Jim or James, um, and Barbara, they moved from Arizona and they took up residence in this house. And, uh, Jim had to go away for work. He was, you know, on the other side of the ranch. So he left his wife and I think they had four kids between the two of them, um, at, at home, like no big deal. There was no one else on the property except the guy in charge of the irrigation on the ranch. His name was Charlie Smith. And um, he was known around town for having gotten kicked in the head by a horse when he was younger. Um, so he had a bit of a speech impediment and occasional mental blackouts. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> um, and he had two prized possessions, according to folks who knew him. He had a Ford pickup and a 25 caliber pistol. And one day, um, on September 20th, everything was going hunky-dory. Barbara fed her kids, put them to bed. Everyone was going to get ready for school the next day. On the morning of September 21st, her kids woke up and found her on the kitchen floor. Um, and these were mostly little kids, so they kind of just stayed with her. Um, so it must have been really horrible. Um, but eventually, Bill Young, the president of the Du Bois Grazing Association, came by the house to see if anyone had seen Charlie. He didn't show up for work that day. No one could find him. He came in. He knocked on the door. The kids brought him inside. She brought him to their mother. Um, and so he contacted the Fremont County Sheriff's Department over in Lander. And they, of course, began looking for Charlie because he was the only um, possible suspect. He was the only, only suspect. He was really the only person who they thought could possibly have done this. But um, his pickup and um, his horse had been left behind. So they figured he left on foot. Um, they found his gun or they found a 25 caliber pistol uh, in a ditch near the family's home, but no Charlie, despite this huge manhunt. Um, so this happened in 1966, and it wasn't until 1969 that his remains were found, and they were missing the skull <laughs> and the foot. They ID'd his remains because of a set of keys, a, a set of skeleton keys he had in his pocket that actually opened his parents' home, and they lived in Riverton, of all places. Oh. Um, so they they had this body, they ID'd him, but he was missing you know, parts. The skull and the foot were eventually found later, but by that point, way too much time had passed to try to um, figure out what Charlie's cause of death had been. So unfortunately, the case was closed, and there's really no answers um, to this day um, about what happened to Barbara Tilly uh, on that fateful September evening. Was she shot or? She was shot. Um, she was uh, shot and she was assaulted um, and left left in her home. Yeah. yeah. So definitely shook the town a little bit. But like I said, it seems like Du Bois has a bit of a, <laughs> a macabre history of, <laughs> of bodies washing up without parts. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's sad. It's yeah. really sad. But it is, I mean, it is, I guess, part of the town's history. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it happens in all kinds of towns, too. So. Alrighty. Well, the last story um, from 
Riverton's Way um, is actually more of a legend than a ghost story, but it is still pretty creepy. And this story is about a man named Kinch Kinney. Um, and Kinch Kinney was um, a sheep herder. Um, and once he had been released from prison, um, Kinch had gotten a job uh, or started the Yellowstone Ranch Company. And life had been good for him until he went bankrupt and had to sell his ranch. So as a result, he got hired um, by a local farmer um, as a sheep herder. Uh, but Ken- Kenny was severely depressed about losing um, his ranch and was now spending endless days and nights alone in the sage with only the sheep to keep him company. Um, after a while, he started to feel nothing at all, and everything just became a routine. He woke up, he ate breakfast, he counted the sheep, he tended to anything that needed to be done, ate lunch, slept, um, ate dinner, counted the sheep and made sure that everything needed to be done and monotonously go to sleep just to do all of that again the next day. Kinch knew the dangers of being sheeped going into the job, but never thought it would happen to him, but he did. It, but it did. One day, he started to feel his mind go, and later that night, he even bleated back at the sheep he was tending, and the next day, he forgot his own name. Kinch knew he was losing his mind and tried to slap himself out of it. Um, he believed that he snapped out of it and carried on with his life until one night he saw the trees move. The more he watched the trees, the closer they became. The trees were coming after him. So he started spending more time in his wagons, safe from the trees. And Kinch was so afraid of the trees that he stopped tending to the sheep, which caused them to bleat 24-7. On the eighth day, Kinch... Being holed up in his wagon, he began to see the trees close enough to notice their bright red eyes and sharp teeth, and they seemed to be coming closer and closer. Kinch watched in horror as the trees killed all of his herd. The trees came, ripped open the door to his wagon, and killed him as well. A week later, Kinch was found dead due to a heart attack. These sheep were also found dead in a bloody mess outside. But the sheep were not killed by the trees, but by Kinch Kinney himself, who had also found covered, who had been also found covered in blood, with a knife in his hand. It was the severe winter of 1930, and many sheep camps entered spring unattended by herder and frozen herd. <laughs> and supposedly, um, Alma Law, who worked on this book with um, his students, had come last year to our museum to give a talk about some of the stories he had collected over time and it's not confirmed but we perhaps also have kinch kinney's wagon (laughs) in our collection so um it's it's only a maybe though but that does make it a little bit more creepy yeah (laughs) yeah and and, uh, the book called fremont haunts is for sale at both the lander and the riverton museums if you're interested it's a nice uh the students and Mr. Law did a nice job putting this together in 2017, uh, and it, it, it does cover the whole county. Um, so if you're interested, it, it is available uh, still. at the. Uh, I guess Dubois doesn't have a copy. Dubois does not have a copy. We've got a couple of ghost books about haunted Wyoming mm-hmm. in general. We've got uh, haunted hotels and inns, um, mm-hmm. haunted ranches kind of deal, but... Nothing, nothing like this one. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm going to do one, well, uh, one more and then part of another one. Uh, so, again, in Lander, uh, most towns have haunted, quote-unquote, haunted places. Um, 
I've never come across a specific story about the Lander Bar, which is at First and Main, but I've heard that that is a notoriously spooky place, especially after <laughs> closing at 2 hmm. in the morning or whatever. Um, a, a number of people have passed on stories. Uh, I've never been able to verify anything s- specifically, but that's a possibly haunted place. But I do have a story that was in the Lander newspaper uh, from the uh, uh, 70s, and it was a, it's a story about a haunted ha- uh, house, which isn't there anymore. The house was actually torn down this year, so I didn't even know this... Because I and I'd been in the house when they were in the process of uh, uh, taking it down. <laughs> because <laughs> the the owners had asked me to come in and see if there was anything the museum wanted, as far as you know, fixtures or anything like that. So it's the Baldwin House, which used to stand on uh, on South Second Street uh, in Lander. And Major Baldwin was a significant figure in the history of Lander. He was the first uh, the first he his family was the first white family to live in the valley. Uh, he was started out as a trader with the Native Americans and eventually opened a general store and uh, was a prominent, prominent citizen of Lander. But he built a house on a very nice uh, frame house on uh, on South Second Street. And uh, according to the his uh, descendants, they, they never experienced anything in the house. But once the uh, family started moving. They moved someplace else, and they started renting the house out. Uh, other people, mm. other people started having some significantly spooky experiences in this house. You're not going to haunt your own family. That's right. <laughs> Apparently, well, and they, we don't know who was haunting them, but they suspect it was Mr. or Major Baldwin. Um, and so there were several, a whole series of instances in this uh, newspaper article uh, about you know, cold spots in the house and hearing people walking when nobody else was in the house and hearing uh, the doors close and open. Uh, but the one that I thought was most interesting <laughs> was uh, somebody actually got something on tape. Ooh, and I so love I'm gonna, those I'm gonna read I'm going to read this to you uh, from the newspaper article because it, it is kind of creepy. Right. Uh, Sharon King, who was one of the people who was renting the house, says she felt sensations several times while living there. But their one experience was really unique. Wayne King had decided to turn on their tape cassette. Uh, this is back in the day of cassettes, if anybody remembers <laughs> that. Uh, before guests Don and Sharon Davis arrived to play bridge, then they play, would play back their conversation later for a joke. We were playing it back later in the evening, and all of a sudden, said Mrs. King, this hollow, echoey voice broke in on the tape and asked, Are you busy? Oh. I was so glad the Davises were there, too, because people just laugh these things off. They think you're crazy if you tell stories like that. I am normal, she said. The Kings played the tape many times for friends before erasing it. Now, Saren says, I wish they had kept it. Whoa. So, interesting story. Again, uh, obviously the tape is gone, and the house is gone now. So, I guess we can't uh, you know, go back and check that out. But well, it, um, from what I've heard, that ghost doesn't leave the spots, which is my haunt, whatever gets oh. built there next. Yeah, well, okay, well, whoever <laughs> owns that piece of property now, you've got an, an additional uh, selling point. <laughs> there are people that probably would be interested in that. So uh, so anyway, so like I say, lots of interesting things uh, around Fremont County uh, since we're coming into the quote-unquote spooky season. All right, so um, do you guys have any events happening at your museum? I know, Randy, you mentioned Halloween is canceled for you down in Lander. Yeah, we're not going to do Halloween this this year we might try and do something uh, we're still trying to work out the logistics we might do some kind of 
candy giveaway or something for kids because it's a, one of our biggest events of the year is Halloween, and we have three or 400, sometimes 500 people come. So this year not, but uh, we, we are going to try and do something. Uh, other than that, we do have uh, our virtual Lewis Lake trek uh, coming out in October. It will be uh, a trek of the Louis Lake Lodge, video trek of the Louis Lake Lodge. That'll be out in uh, in uh, October, and so join us for that. We've done all of our treks virtually this year, again, because of COVID. Uh, so that's our stuff for October. Right. Yeah, for the Riverton Museum, we have three events going on in October. On October 10th, we are holding our Fall Fun Fest, which is an event um, held from 2 to 4 p.m. Um, for kids to come and hang out and play some fun fall games with us. Um, What's the date on that? Uh, October 10th. On October 13th, um, we have a Discovery Speaker Series of Riverton Ghost Stories and Alma Law, the a uh, teacher who worked on the Fremont Haunts book will be coming to the museum at 6.30 p.m. to uh, share some more spooky stories so with us. So if people go, will they get to see the creepy doll on display? I can definitely point it out. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, on October 17th at 5.30 p.m., Alma Law will be leading a downtown walking tour um, of all the haunted locations in Riverton. Ooh. Uh, things over at the Jew Boys Museum are pretty quiet uh, in October. We are unfortunately canceling our Halloween kids program this year. Um, as far as we can tell right now, our Christmas time program, our holiday program is still going to be going on, um, but stay tuned for that. And um, for those of you who may be interested and in sitting out there thinking, I would love to see a special exhibit on X, Y, and Z at the Du Bois Museum, and they never do it. We will be posting shortly the rules on our social media pages for a contest to design your own exhibit. And if you can come up with a good topic of something you would like to see displayed at the museum, um, you get to come in and work with me, and I'll show you how to pick artifacts, write out museum labels, pick and uh, design your layout in a display case. Um, it'll be all up to you. It'll be, I think, super cool. If this had been a contest that I could have entered, I would have done it. <laughs> but I guess, you know, that's my jam. So stay tuned for the rules for that. Um, and like I said, keep an eye out for our holiday programming coming up in December. Before we go, we just want to thank our sponsor, Mick Pryor, a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Whether you're planning for retirement, saving for college, or just trying to protect the financial future of the ones you care for the most, work with Mick to develop specific strategies to help you achieve your goals. He can also help monitor your progress to make sure you stay on track and determine if any adjustments need to be made. Otherwise, thank you guys for listening. We will be back next month with a sort of fallish themed little talk about some turkeys in Wyoming, as well as some fun facts about elections, because let's face it, we all know it's coming and we can't avoid <laughs> it. Um, otherwise, uh, thanks for listening and we hope you tune in again next month.